Hebrew scripture reading comes from the second chapter of Isaiah. Here, the prophet casts a vision of his people's future hope, despite the stark contrast between their current circumstances and the reality for which he longs. He writes, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. A reading of Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. Hope. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without words and never stops. And hope is sweetest in the gale. Sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept and has kept so many warm. I've heard it. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity has it asked a crumb of me. Like many of you, we traveled to see family this week. And in my family, one tradition is that during Thanksgiving week, the whole family will usually find a time to go to a movie together. And I promised myself when the week began that I wasn't going to wait and try to pull an illustration out of whatever holiday blockbuster we saw. I really wanted to know where the sermon was going before all the feasting began so that I could enjoy it. And then we went to see Frozen 2. <laughs> and you can laugh, but it was as if Disney had been reading my notes all week long. I won't give anything away. I'm sure you're all going to go see it. But th there's this refrain that comes up several times throughout the story when Anna and Elsa are stumbling down their own paths, literally lost in the woods, unable to see how they could possibly get from where they are to the future they long for. And the refrain is simple and clear. Do the next right thing. When you don't know what's coming around the bend, when you can't see how the path will unfold, just do the next right thing and trust that more light will come. So here we are today in the first Sunday of Advent. As the chill sets in and the days grow shorter, marking the beginning of our own annual journey into this season of waiting in the darkness that comes before the dawn, of trusting that this time, just like the last, the light will indeed come. 
It's a season in which the Mother Mary is often on our minds, as nativity scenes pop up all over town. I developed a particular fondness for Mary the year that I was pregnant with our oldest, James, who was born in December. So as Advent began that year, I felt like I was walking right alongside her in anticipation. And then James was born, and when we reached the birth of Christ that year, I knew for myself the sweet softness of tiny fingers and the gift of gazing into their eyes for the few short minutes that they're awake each day. But I also became aware in a new way of how Mary's story seems to be cut short, as if her work were over as soon as the baby was born. And as I've reflected on what was in her heart as she pondered all that had occurred, I've wondered what her relationship with waiting must have been like. Of course, she had waited all through the long months of pregnancy. Maybe after the beauty and mystery of that starlit night full of shepherds and angels, she even thought her waiting was over. The Messiah had arrived. It's not as if the waiting ends once you transition from pregnancy to parenthood. That age-old wisdom about cherishing every moment because the time is so fleeting. That wisdom only has to be passed down because parenthood is so often such a waiting game. Waiting for things to get easier, waiting for the kids to become a little more manageable, waiting until you feel like you've finally got the hang of it, whenever that is. And so kind-hearted friends who are further along in their journeys say to new parents what was said to them. It goes by so quickly. Enjoy it while you can. I wonder if Mary enjoyed it while she could. What I don't have to wonder about is whether she found herself in seasons of waiting again and again as the months turned to years and the little Messiah baby turned into a little Messiah toddler refusing to go to bed and then sneaking out of his room for one more cup of water every single night without fail. You know he did it. It, Incarnation wouldn't mean much if he didn't go through the terrible twos. (laughs) Just about every parent I've ever met has made the joke about needing a handbook for this gig. We're all walking a path we have no idea how to walk. How much more so with Mary? Talk about parenting in uncharted territory. I can only imagine that she must have taken things one fully human, fully divine temper tantrum at a time, knowing that she had placed her hope on the end toward which this path was leading, though she couldn't imagine how things could get from here to that end, to God's kingdom come. All she could do was the next right thing. I find that when I am most frustrated with my sweet angel children who never do anything wrong, (laughs) the thing that keeps me going is the hope that when we get to the other side of this, this season, this childhood, this life, they will know that they have been so fully loved and valued. They will have learned how to embody love themselves. This hope of mine is a vision of the future that shines light on this parenting path I'm walking day by day, step 
by step. For 19th century poet Emily Dickinson, hope was a songbird whose melody carries on the wind without ceasing and is somehow sweetest in the midst of stormy seas. Whether it's a vision or a song, hope is that which calls us forward. The prophet Isaiah knew something about hope. In the first chapter of Isaiah, he had called out the injustice that cast a shadow over the integrity of the worship that took place at the temple. Now here, in the next chapter, he transitions to a vision of the future, painting a picture of a day to come when the temple will no longer be a disgrace, but will instead be an international symbol of justice and peace. All the peoples of the earth will learn to walk in this way of peace. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's an audacious vision. It's the kind of vision you might have to be crazy to actually believe in. And don't think that this is one of those historical cultural differences, like if you knew more about the time it was written, you would understand. It was just as crazy when Isaiah said it. A world in which there's no need for weapons because war has become a forgotten art. A world in which it is justice and not money or influence that holds sway over the powers that guide the societies of the earth. If I'm being honest, the words that come to mind for a vision like that are words like cute and <laughs> naive. And yet, here we are gathering again on a Sunday morning to read this passage and profess yet again our faith in this vision, to confess that in some way we hold Isaiah's words to be true, that in some way this swords into plowshares vision of reality is where our hope lies. This vision of a just and loving future shines light on our path day by day, guiding us down the road that leads toward it, no matter how unattainable the destination may seem. Now, maybe some of you are skeptical. I say, no matter how unattainable the destination may seem, and you think, uh, yeah, entirely unattainable. I have no interest in perpetuating false hope in a future that could never come to be. The truth is that kind of hope serves no one. We cannot live on false hope. There's a well-known story about Commander James Stockdale, a Medal of Honor recipient who has spoken about the 591 prisoners of war who eventually made it out of Vietnam when there were several thousand others who never came home. He was asked once who it was that didn't make it out of the camps. And his answer, well, that's easy. It was the optimists. As surprising as it sounds, he pointed out that the optimists were the ones who believed that when they were captured that they would ultimately be back home by Christmas. 
And when Christmas came and went, they placed their hopes on Easter. And when Easter came and went, they thought, surely, by the 4th of July. The true cost of a false hope is despair. When we place our hopes on an end over which we have no control, no agency, there is little to deter us from falling into that despair. Maybe that's why Isaiah concludes his vision of hope with a very physical invitation. Not, come, let us contemplate this image together, but come, let us walk in the light of this hope. Let's take a step today, right now. We may not have the means to bring about the fullness of this vision, but it would be a mistake to live as if we have no agency, as if we have no part to play. If hope is the vision of the future that calls us forward in the present, it is also the lamp that lights our path as we take each tentative step on the journey from what is toward what is yet to be. And all that hope requires of us is not to turn around and go back home. Practicing hope doesn't have to look like believing wholeheartedly in the future we long for. It doesn't have to look like putting on blinders and ignoring all that is wrong in the world, all that stands between the brokenness of now and the vision of a more just tomorrow. I don't know how we get from here to turning, turning swords into plowshares. Practicing hope is continuing to show up in spite of the unknown, continuing to walk on the path we've set out on, and when the next right thing becomes clear, to do it. Showing up isn't hard. It isn't earth-shattering. It doesn't require much creativity or forethought. It just requires presence. And yet again, in other circumstances, just showing up can be incredibly hard. It can be painful. It can be vulnerable. It can require everything you have. But when it does, that is when the songbird sings most sweetly. Those are the moments for which hope was made. Hope is entirely about the future, yes, and it is also entirely about the present. It echoes its melody from the future, beckoning us forward, and yet it is only ever meaningful here in this present moment when we need it most. Sweetest in the gale, it is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. Hope is the song that fills our ears, that fills our hearts, that fills our lungs with the deep breath we need to recenter, to ground ourselves in the truth of all that has been and the promise of all that can be. Hope is our impetus to reorient ourselves, to find north again and to discover which step is ours to take. Because we can't take every step, and we certainly can't take them all at once. 
our work is to discern the next few steps and to follow them. This path is only made by walking. But in this place, we do not walk alone. So Northminster, in this season of Advent, what is the hope that calls us forward, that calls you forward? What might it look like to show up in vulnerability, in courage, to take one step toward doing the next right thing, <coughs> trusting that though all is dark, in time, more light will come. Come, let us walk together in the light of the hope that beckons us on. Amen. Mm -hmm.